Welcome to episode 101 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. We are in our hundreds now of episodes, and we appreciate everyone that's listening and everyone that joined us for our live episode and the recording of that. That was so much fun, and we just, we love that we're still here. (laughs) (laughs) Right? True, true. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) So, we're getting to... Seeing the light of the end of the tunnel of the school year, and I um, feel like there's a lot of us SLPs that might need some motivation. And I, if you are not following Speechy Musings on social media, you should be because she has a lot of just like one-liners and little inspirational things of just like how to keep going in this field. And she had a blog post um, a little bit ago that just spoke to me so well. And it is called what's your why and other lies we tell ourselves. (laughs) So she, (laughs) that's like, it's like this buzz phrase. And I've heard it Mm -hmm. in companies that I've worked for too, where they're really pushing, like, tell us what's your why, why are you here? And in this article, she talks about that sometimes it's okay to go to work because you get a paycheck and to not always have it be this altruistic um, state of being all the time that I'm doing this for these great grand reasons. And some of the reasons for that is that you get burnt out. If you're always trying to go every day, I'm going to change the world, Mm -hmm. you're going to get burnt out. And if you Mm -hmm. just know that there's days where I go to work because I get a paycheck and there's sometimes that I just, I have to see these kids because they're on my caseload and I'm trying, I'm always doing the best that I can, but I know that there's some days where Maybe I'm not just a speech therapist and maybe I'm a speech therapist and I get to go be a mom or Mm -hmm. I get to be a, for me, it's a true crime fan (laughs) and a speech therapist and all of these other things that make up your life and your job as part of that. So I loved that thinking about our why it doesn't have to just be saving the world, you know, serving kids. We can be so much more than that and that we have more satisfaction in our lives when we're so much more than that. So it was some good thoughts that I wanted to bring up as a, you can make it to the end of this school year. <laughs> sure. Sure. I, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and um, I just got a book not too long ago and I don't have it right here in front of me. Um, but it basically is a book that it's, it's, was just recently published and the author takes the perspective of we are now in the, in the period of time where you may not have one profession. You may have this hyphenated string of things that you're good at and that you're doing uh, to fulfill yourself. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost the same kind of thing that if you try to find that one sort of unifying why you're here, that's putting a lot of pressure on yourself because you may be interested or have skills to do something that may not be saving the world. It may be, you know, something else, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm embracing, certainly I have, you know, 
a motivation, I would say. I wouldn't say it's my why, but I have a motivation that kind of propels me forward. But at the same time, I, you know, dabbling in lots of different things. And 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 mm-hmm. I find myself really enjoying that and 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 doing different kinds of things. And and some of those things may turn into like revenue streams or things that I'm, you know, earning a living with, and some are just for me. Um, so, so developing that why there's a lot of pressure right now. I think, you know, with Simon Sinek, that's, he's the business guru who talks about finding your why. And, and he also talks more about companies understanding why they're in business and, and mm-hmm. what kind of mindset they have and those kinds of things. And so, but I do agree a whole wholeheartedly that sometimes you can take that too far, ends up putting putting a lot of pressure on yourself yeah. to try to figure that out. And uh, and you can have more than one why, and your why can change. Yep. Yep. You know, so. so certainly when we were together at Utah State, my why changed. <laughs> uh, you know, because with the whole telepractice thing, I had not done that before right. I was told to go do it, <laughs> but you're going to have to do this. And, and, and we all jumped in and that, and that has changed my whole view of the world in the sense and how we can right. provide these services and added another aspect of my career that I would have never thought about otherwise. So things, you know, you grow, you expand, you contract when things no longer you know, are motivating, you, you find different whys. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on the podcast today, we have someone who's well-known in the field, and I'm just thrilled that he's able to join us, Nathan Curtis uh, from Maine, from uh, Waldo General uh, Hospital uh, there, Waldo County General Hospital. And they've been doing telepractice for a number of years. They've done trainings for professionals, uh, just just a, a lot of stuff going on there. And he's able to join us and, and talk about that program and how it got started. And uh, I'm excited he's with us on the podcast. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, We at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. So, Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Sure. Um, My name is Nathan Curtis, and I'm a speech pathologist. I started working in public schools and retired in 2003. Um, During the time that I um, was working in the schools, I had an interest in working with preschool uh, students. So I started a, a private practice you know, having a young family, trying to make a few extra dollars. Um, but I really enjoyed the contrast of 
working with preschoolers. So, and also learning the ins and outs of running your own business. Um, so I did that. And after 2003, I um, had the opportunity to just go into the private practice a few more years full time. But then I kind of got tired of um, chasing money and things like that. And I wanted to kind of finish my career up doing creative things. So I took all of my clients and they found a job for me over here at Walter County General Hospital. And so I've been here 15 years, um, just a couple of months ago, which is surprising uh, that it's gone by that fast. Um, So I have my background, again, public schools. And and part of the work there that was the most interesting was being on the committees that I would be able to observe teachers and help them gain their full uh, credentialing. So I was able to work with high school physics teachers and music mm-hmm. teachers, and and it was helpful to to kind of build the collaborative skills doing that. And and I learned a lot about classroom management, what worked, mm-hmm. and things that weren't so um, so pretty to see the first time. But <laughs> then right. then you saw the, the young teachers really develop skills, mm-hmm. and I was I've been able to to take that into the work here at the hospital. When, when I started here, we had a kind of our mission at the time was to get kids reading ready for a public school. And I came into an organization that was uh, part of an early reading first programming. And they were doing mm-hmm. some wonderful coaching with preschool teachers. And my colleague, Jen Wickham, and I, we were able to kind of utilize that model with our Head Start teachers and do a lot of coaching. So I was able to kind of apply some of the public school activities over here uh, at Waldo County. So so let me ask you how how that service was set up. And because I think, you know, I'm I, two days a week at Akron Children's Hospital, and I know how they kind of do things. But with Waldo County, how does that, how did you guys end up having such extensive programs for, for children? If that sounds, if that's a sure. strange question. No. Um, so in Maine, and the way it is right now, our birth to five is our services completed outside of the public school. So they're looking for okay. providers to do that. And they've, broken it into the, you know, the birth to three and the three to five. Gotcha. So part of the work we did was they, they had contracts with the child development services. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had my own um, relationships with child development services at the time being a private practitioner. And so we were able to um, kind of connect the two and, we decided early on that to have the most influence within the school setting, we would want to influence the environment. We would want mm-hmm. to help the teachers support them working with kids that were at very high risk 
um, mm. for developing, um, for building language skills, uh, high risk for having trouble learning to read. So we decided to start this um, coaching where we would meet with the teachers for an hour a week. We did it as an extra value, a no charge service because we were working with all the kids in the morning. Mm -hmm. And within that process, um, initially we were doing more of the talking, but Mm -hmm. as the teachers got to know us and observed us in the classroom, modeling for them, they became more communicative about all of the students mm-hmm. and really developed a voice, um, able to really talk about the different profiles of the students and where they were differentiating how they were doing their routines. So again, the classroom management things that I think I learned a couple of things about, which in the public schools, allowing the preschool teachers to have those strategies really made a big difference. They were able to um, set up these or um, check-in, sign-in routines mm-hmm. that kids knew what was expected of them. And every day they put in place these automatic practice things for um, writing um, they differentiated their name on, on name tags. So the kids would come up and they would, they would read their letters for their name. And if they knew their first name, then they'd go to their last name. They'd have the kids do the letters backwards. They mm-hmm. were doing some segmenting. They were doing a lot of different um, cool things with that. And so that, that was a really fun opportunity early on in my career here at Waldo County to Again, team up with Jennifer Wickham, who has mm-hmm. a real strong background in literacy. I love that. I did early intervention. Ah, I'm on mute. No, I'm not on mute. <laughs> we'll, You're good. We'll cut that out. <laughs> I did was on mute because one of my kids was ringing the doorbell. Um, I love that because I worked in early intervention for a number of years and I always felt like there was this weird gap when we serve, uh, worked with kids in daycares and Head Start where you knew that you were supposed to be training the caregiver and the caregiver would usually be like, oh, someone else is here to work with this kid. I'm going to leave with the 20 other kids that I have to watch and not really participate in the session. So we were always trying to think of ways that we could make those um, sessions more effective. And I think that sounds like you guys had a great system worked out for that there. Yeah, we were there was such a need that once the teachers really got tooled up, we were able to modify what we needed to do within our approach. So, right. I mentioned a lot less to do. We did. We did have less to do. Sure we did. And also it was great to go to the meetings and the teachers really knew the students well. Mm -hmm. So we took this coaching approach, kind of process that we used and we've also embedded it within our telepractice work and we we call that real-time coaching and Mm -hmm. so part of our work that we've done here 
is not is not just to do the treatment, of course, with a with a telepractice, but to find ways to influence the environment at those sites. So we've we've tried to um, try to uh, find the right places and the right times to um, enrich or get feedback about our services as well as share some tips for the teachers to give them strategies within their day with the, with their students. So how did the telepractice component sort of get off the ground? So as I said, I've been here 15 years <laughs> and and one of the first kind of missions that we had when I came on board, my manager, Mike Tui, is a name very well known within telepractice. And so he was interested in launching this type of service. We had our adults were traveling two to four hours to come down to get some very sophisticated uh, assessment for swallow. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to find a way to allow them to have that assessment, do a treatment session, kind of give them the next steps, but then do some follow-up, kind of a hybrid approach Mm -hmm. kind of early on. When I went to ASHA, one of the first years or so that I was a, um, a member of this department, I think there were eight people in the audience at, at some of them, and they were all the big Tanberg systems, mostly mm-hmm. mostly universities and and great people, but it was very limiting. And so mm-hmm. early on in our approach, we wanted to find a way that would allow the average clinician the opportunity to provide this service. So we were tasked with um, a whole lot of things because there really wasn't a blueprint for uh, other than a few companies that were doing it um, Mm -hmm. and their, their stuff would be proprietary. So we looked for platforms initially. We started with WebEx. Mm -hmm. We built our own materials because back then they didn't have teacher pay teachers or boom cards or all of this and that. Right. And so we built our own materials. In fact, we taught people how to make materials. And that was one of the Mm -hmm. things I really enjoyed doing. Um, We did policies and procedures. Mike did a lot of work with legislative work on parity laws and shared Mm -hmm. that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what he could nationwide shared it with, with other people who were going against or, or coming against that barrier. Mm-hmm. And Asher at that time had position statements that were, you know, pretty, um, you had to be very careful about your selection of students. They were very giving some big caution signs there. And right. so for us, we use the code of ethics and, mm-hmm. and we, we knew that if we did not provide a service, that kids would not get a service for mm-hmm. 18 months until they hit school. So we were motivated to find a way to make it work. Um, so we started with WebEx. 
We started building materials. We started with a few clients. And these were all the kids that nobody else wanted in sites that were the most remote, making it the most mm-hmm. challenging broadband wise, you know. Mm-hmm. But luckily, um, there were the students that were wonderful to work with because they had high quality teachers, um, kids on the spectrum, kids with, you know, different regulation issues. And those teachers were so hungry to learn. And it was a great partnership. Early on in our process, we utilized uh, National Outcome Measurement Service we, mm-hmm. and we separated. We separated our Head Start kids and from our Tele Head Start kids. And we collected data on, on that for quite a few years, still doing it. Um, And we were just really pleased with the results because we were able to get more progress in telepractice with fewer sessions than in person. Wow. Yep. And, And partly because, partly because, and mostly because we feel we were able to influence that environment because we had the teacher right there working with us that time. And that wasn't um, a monologue. It was, it was back and forth and truly a collaborative approach of sharing, you know, best, best um, skills, uh, best tips. Um, we would ask regularly at the end of a session, what worked for you? What did we miss? Um, they relied on us to give them guidance as to when to come in and you know at first that's a little awkward for everybody the Mm -hmm. more you use e-helpers the more they get to know your style Mm -hmm. uh, the the more they get to know what you're saying may not be related to what is the task but may be related to a little piece of information that can help them take that and Mm -hmm. transfer it and generalize it out once they get to know your style and the coaching that's embedded within it, um, it it really can flow quite well, as as you all know from your experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why we were able to make some huge gains as these people were motivated and, and they practiced these things throughout the day and they kept the data mm-hmm. and and they and they shared what worked and what didn't. And I think the other thing is that we, we built our own materials. So mm-hmm. we had the kids' pictures. The family shared with us things they wanted to share, things that were important and engaging for the child. And then we would take those pictures and we'd create these little songs um, about their name. Um, so they felt pretty empowered and special. Mm-hmm. And... And then we, then I took all the good stuff Jen Whitcomb taught me about literacy, and I would embed it within a routine. Again, going back to the routines, and and we learned that if you think about a telepractice session, and you set it up, and you do these things in a routine that you know you're going to hit your clinical targets, and and you're going to hit them enough 
to again affect uh, communication change. Right. So, yeah. So give us an idea um, about some of what those sessions looked like. What was the routines that you used in them? So for, we were told, oh, this child is very quiet and very shy. She won't, she won't talk or he won't talk or what have you. And, and then you, you bring up their picture with their name song mm-hmm. and you, you cue like you do with any student to the level you need to. Mm-hmm. And then if you do, if you start that way and you do some receptive things, you know, show me G, show me E, what have you, uh, you turn it around and make them the superior telling you what to do and use the cues back and forth. Um, they're pretty empowered and engaged. And so before you know it, you're, you're working on quite a few different skills. And then you can go to, say, um, if you're working on articulation, you, you can work on, you know, some, I call it my fabulous finger five game. So I can have the kids do multiple par- targets and, mm-hmm. and we have these little, uh, things that we do. And before they know it, we've gotten 30 targets in, in mm-hmm. just a short amount of time. And then we, we, we typically do books in about every session. And I always tell people, in speech therapy, you can choose anything you want for materials. So, you know, the good training of using the books and every one of our plans of care have at least a literacy or an educational base to it. Because again, that's mm-hmm. our added value. We want to make sure that we're, we're helping the student the most. So um, over the years, I have written a few books myself. Um, mm-hmm. I I am known as the letter man. Um, I used to dress up as the letter man and go in and do book shares at Head Start. Um, nice. Letter man also has a, uh, a movie and, um, and the kids' pictures were in it. And it was a big motivator for them to be part of something. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, in Head Start um, or in classrooms, when kids are learning each other's names, um, you know, there are different games that you can play around that. And, you know, we, we can, again, put that into routines with Antella. For probably one of the last things that I would try to do in every session, depending on the age, um, so we'd finish with books typically. Um, sometimes a go noodle, a movement thing, or epic books, um, you know. For our older elementary kids and up through, we really want them to be able to know why they're getting a service. And we try to have uh, a routine that may start with some vocabulary work, uh, a phrase or a couple of um, maybe a motivational um, couple of sentences that they have to kind of think about and talk about a little bit. And then Mm -hmm. we do a lot with narrative work. Um, so we're doing a lot of stray market grammar work and, and other products. And we might finish with an older elementary kid with um, talking about a self-assessment. What worked for you today? How did you do today? How would you grade mm-hmm. this today? And, and give them an opportunity, opportunity to um, 
maybe just express what's working and what's not working, what they want more of and can guide, guide the next session. My colleagues do a lot of co-creation um, uh, work. So they'll start an activity that's educationally based and using Google uh, Classroom, you know, different products that they might use there. And they'll start the activity knowing that the student will need to finish it at some point in time. So they try to predict, try to find the, the preferred activities, things that are motivating for the student. But again, that's an opportunity to, to work on some language structure or some materials beyond the therapy session. So those are some things that we try to do on a pretty consistent basis in our work here. Those are some great ideas. I like how you said that sometimes you feel like you were doing, uh, getting better results because you were creating your own materials. And I think, you know, sometimes we do, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to pull this off of Teachers Pay Teachers and that idea of making it individualized for that student, pulling their pictures and pulling their interests in really gets you more bang for your buck. I have, um, I work mostly with high school students right now, which is never where I thought I would be. (laughs) I love little kids, but I found it even works for them too. Even at that age, I have one kid that's super into, he wants to be a paleontologist. He loves fossils. And by pulling up, you know, an article that was about that rather than just let's read your book from your English class. When I pulled up those um, articles related to that, he just really got engaged and wanted to learn the vocabulary and knew why he needed to know a word like anatomy that he never knew what that word meant before. And I'm like, you have to know that if you're going to work with animals and their their different body parts and everything. So I I think that that never goes away, that having something that lights you up and using that as a motivator for other things. And I think that's the wonderful thing about telepractice is that you can use your transition talk. And while you're doing your transition talk, you're over in Google or something and you're pulling something in. Mm -hmm. So for me, I have... I have seven grandkids. I can pull in a little clip of them swinging or a little clip of some activity that uh, a subway, because a lot of my kids may may not get to cities or um, things like that. And I can pull it in and just, you know, 20 seconds or so of a video can engage on on a particular topic, um, something that they're talking about, uh, something they're interested in or something that that you want to highlight. So mm-hmm. we've done, you know, we have banks of those things. I think it's really important, really important that to choose the materials that have a clinical clarity. And that's a term my colleague, Amy Reed uses quite a mm-hmm. lot. She is very clear when she goes into a teletherapy session what she wants to accomplish. And she uses her coaching skills to motivate the students to have that same intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. And we talk about, you know, telepractice has the opportunity to pull in materials from anywhere, (laughs) a lot of sources. But at the same time, I think it's important to think about what are you trying to accomplish in this session, and will this material allow enough practice, enough repetition, 
And I think something that happens, you can get um, drawn into a material and, and be motivated to use it a lot. But are you, are, is it the best for that student? So, um, so that's one caution I have. And the other thing that we try to talk about in our, in our trainings and in, in some of the presentations we've done is that you, it's, it's good to have materials at different tech levels at, at different mm -hmm. complexities. Mm -hmm. And I've had some of my best sessions using very, very few pictures, very few mm -hmm. things within the session. I was able to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. And there are other times it's just wonderful to have all these things in the background that you can pull if you want. Mm -hmm. so, right. Well, Nathan, where, where is the program now? Are you guys continuing to serve children? And uh, are you also doing serving some adults as well? How are things going now? Yeah, we, we are doing well. Um, we have um, a voice and swallowing center that has um, clients from, from all over, certainly Maine. And we have a good relationship with many specialists, even in the greater Boston area, that know of our work. So mm -hmm. we're doing quite a lot of work with chronic cough and a whole lot of um, adult-oriented types of, of concerns. We're still utilizing the assessment and then trying to do hybrid where we can. Um, mm -hmm. We're doing some voice work for sure um, with the adults. Uh, about 85% of our work here at Waldo is pediatric. Or, so in, in my role, um, you know, I've, I've adjusted in the last five years or so. I still do some clinical work, mm -hmm. but right now I am coordinating clinical services for about 30 providers. Um, wow. tele-OT, as well as telespeech across a few departments and across uh, a sister site here at Maine Health. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a nice role for me because it allows me to, I don't need to do Wordle or whatever those things in the morning because I'm doing <laughs> it all day long, <laughs> figuring out schedules and problem solving. Right, um, real life Tetris. <laughs> and I would just rather watch the Red Sox when I get uh, home. Or yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, we are we are busy. Um, we, you know, the the need is great, and we have a lot of other competitors here in Maine doing some telework, which is wonderful. It's fine. There's a lot of work there. We have 30 to 40 openings probably in our small state for, you know, um, for speech pathologists. So the, the need is there. Um, and let's see, we, we have trained um, people from Finland. We did Saudi Arabia. We did Italy. We've we've done some work during the pandemic that way um, in mm -hmm. Arizona, um, Ohio, in different states. We have we have worked with some of the universities there. Um, one of our 
things that we are proud of is that we spent a week and we tooled up and trained the University of Maine um, mm-hmm. faculty back in 2012 or so. And, and then the same as all the trainings that we did here at Waldo, we did a two-day training over a course of many, many years here. Um, and it was accredited by the ATA, right. um, which, was, which was a great opportunity, opportunity for us to really build out our skills of presenting. And, and it, some of the Stephen Covey principles, uh, some of the things about trying to just get better and some of the Apple you know, the iterations, we just tried mm-hmm. to do it better each time we trained. Mm-hmm. And when we started, you know, we, we put out competencies for speech pathologists to do tele competencies for our e-helpers. Mm-hmm. And, and it was kind of a draft. It's like, okay, peeps add to it. Cause we <laughs> right. don't, we don't know, but this is what we think and please add to it. And, and like our trainings, the people who left, made it their own. They've made telepractice sure. their own. They, they, their own style, their own companies. Uh, it's, it's, that's been great to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been important for us to do work at the highest standard and to encourage other people to really consider that in how they go about building out their policies and how they present and those types of things. And we, we feel as though, you know, Mike's leadership here has really been important around those concepts. Um, but I have a, a team of about 20 people right here at Waldo um, doing some infant feeding work, you know, doing some outreach work that's, that we, we didn't have that opportunity certainly when I started here. And is, is Michael retiring? Is that right? Next week. Next week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, well, tell him that we're going to get him on as well. Uh, Okay. He'll have time for us now. right? Yeah. He'll have plenty of time. (laughs) Yeah. uh, He, he has quite a few, he's been an invited speaker, of course, uh, Mm -hmm. at ASHA many, many times. And, um, has has done quite a few um, keynote speaker speeches for different things as well over the course of the last ten years for sure. Right. So, yeah. And uh, we, I will let him know that. Yeah, uh, please do, and we'd love to have him on. Um, and I, I'm talking with uh, Judy Walker not too long ago that she's also retiring. So, I hope that uh, the training program there at, at the University of Maine will continue uh, after she leaves. Yeah, I'm. I just learned of that a few weeks back, and we've we've had some sites that we have been side by side on. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've done a really nice job up there. Mm-hmm. We have hired quite a few of the students that right. have you know come through the program. I'm really proud of, you know, where they're starting their career and they're just blossoming with, Mm -hmm. especially teleassessment. We have some people who are just 
doing some wonderful work around that and and getting good results. Um, and we're finding ways to using Survey Monkey and ways to have teachers kind of get their information yeah. when it's mm-hmm. their time when they can do that. And we can drop that in the referral information. We can drop it into an evaluation report. And it just lends itself better to the reader knowing that we've not just looked at the student in isolation, but we've also asked parent and teacher for information. Which I think too is so important with um, teletherapy because it is like in isolation, it's within this little box that we get to see them. And I work with some kids that are on the autism spectrum and are working on social skills. And I really like just recently we've set up a way of doing, sending out a Google survey and getting some feedback from the teachers and how they're doing in the classroom because I really like thought most of my kids were doing great. Like they seem fine to me. They're doing great when we're in this little box and I have this activity set up and to get that feedback from the um, teachers that it's like, oh, well, it's not going so great when they're in the classroom. Like that's invaluable as a telepractitioner because I can't go sit in their classroom <laughs> and see all of that going on or go sit in the lunchroom and see all of that going on. So I, I love that idea of using those surveys and things like that to pull that information in. And one of the best things I've liked about this job is that I will travel. I will go four hours and I will go to those schools and I will visit. And of course, the last several years have been, I've not been able to do that safely. Mm -hmm. So I've found different ways around that, but, and I'm hoping that that's going to return because those site visits are important. You learn so much about the culture of the school, things that they value. Um, I've done in-services. We've done parent meetings, problem solving. And I've had, we call them clinical leads, are people who kind of manage a school, go out and do site visits. They often say, well, you know, what, what should I do? And I say, listen. Yeah, you know, observe and listen. Mm-hmm. And because I think if we want credibility and we want partnership, we need to listen and then we need to act on that. We need to if we, if we agree to something or we need to act on that and and to start to build that trust process of of a relationship. I don't want to feel like a commodity that I'm a check in the box of doing tele-speech. Right. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for Mike. No, it does not work for us. And I think that approach has really allowed us to have people be quite committed to um, making sure that we have space, making sure that we have a schedule that works, um, giving mm-hmm. us heads up when they're having an, an assembly or what have you. So right. we're not sitting there, you know. Um, yeah, just uh, just some things that it's surprising when you go out and you think you you know, even years that you maybe have worked at the same site. But there's always thing, there are always things that you pick up, always things that you learn. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. They're, they're having changes in personnel and new policies and rules and things that are getting, you know, put in place. So it's, I agree. I think, you know, going out to those sites uh, on occasion keeps, keeps everything, everyone on the same page. Um, even though you're doing most of the services through telepractice. I think having clear expectations, you know, just and and healthy professional boundaries are just e- extremely important. And the more that we're able to get to know who the decision makers are at each site and their best mode of communication and what time of day, <laughs> I have things at 11 at night and four in the morning. I have people that text. I have people that want to Zoom. I have people that want a mm-hmm. phone call or, you know, just understanding that. And then again, differentiating like we would for our students, differentiating how we interface, how we communicate. I think right. it's important. Yeah. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, Nathan, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and so I think we're at that point where uh, we call our moment of Zen. And and Kim thinks this is the most important part of the whole episode. <laughs> so <clears throat> we have a series of questions we're going to ask. And uh, we need you to choose A, B, or C. So we have an A list, a B list, and a C list. Wow. I'll do the A list. A list. So this is uh, based on the Prowse questionnaire. So um, if I, as I've mentioned to several people before, it's sort of based on the uh, the idea on the uh, inside the actor studio. I don't know if you've ever seen that show with James Lipton. Oh, sure. Uh, and he would always ask the same questions at the end. And but we won't ask you what your favorite curse word is and all that. No. So we'll <laughs> so first question for you, Nathan is. What is the most used app on your phone? Well, lately it's the home improvement things. So. <laughs> <laughs> home Depot, um, is that it? Yeah, or Lowe's <laughs> or one Lowe's. of the others. Um, I would say, um, and weather. And weather, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh, we've been pounded with rain left and right. But we've had other people from Maine that have kind of said the Maine the, the that's the one that they use the most too. They got yeah. to know the what app. it's going to be yeah. like. I don't know. I I have about 10 that I probably use, you know, pretty similar amounts between um you know, a little bit of social media stuff, but you know, a lot a lot of things information gathering. Um sure. Part of my work, I just feel as though I need to be, feel connected. So I'm, I have subscriptions to newspapers throughout the state, mm-hmm. so I can get to know what's going on in every community. So yeah, I I followed all of the schools that I work at. I follow them on social media, and sometimes that's the first way that I know things like we're going to have an assembly today, or yeah. there is right. no school today. Everyone forgets to tell me, but I've been following them on social media. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely is much better than their website. That's yep. for sure. The, right. Those Facebook pages. Yeah. Yep. Next question is what is the last TV show or movie that you streamed? Well, um, Main Cabin Masters. Main um, Cabin Masters. I, yeah. If you <laughs> awesome. haven't seen it, 
Yeah, I'll have to look it up. It. It's a hoot. Um, and I just got uh, FUBU uh, so I could get my Red Sox. And it also has Magnolia Network now oh, has yeah. main, main Cabin Masters. And what's, awesome. what's good about it, what I find interesting about it is that they – there's some history to it, and they go to beautiful parts of the state, usually on mm-hmm. lakes, sometimes the ocean, and they they transform something that is not going to last very long, and they repurpose things, right. and I like that. So yeah. I'm I'm always amazed by people in the trades how smart how how well they do with problem solving, and I think it's been a a big uh, disservice. That mm-hmm. we've pushed pushed so much of college, college, and not of all of these jobs that are, you've got to have really good skills to do it well. Um, That's right. So, yeah, it's sometime, check it out. I will, I will definitely look it up. Um, what's a favorite book? Well, I've been looking at trying to do light things lately with all the things going on, sure. but I've also been tasked with some um, changes here at work. So I've been kind of going back to some Stephen Covey stuff again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the seven habits, live in the seven habits. Um, My kids are in a seven habits school. So they use the seven, seven habits for kids. And yeah. I love, I love the seeing Franklin that stuff. growth mindset. And yeah. Yeah. Those are all good. I, I teach adult special needs Sunday school. And um, I was thumbing through a little book, uh, The Gifts of Grace, uh, that one of the students gave me. Because they're just like, you can, you can, you know, if you have two or three minutes, you can kind of read down through and, and you know, reflect on something that's positive. So um, something like that I've been doing a bit of as well. That's great. Um, if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? Listen with the intent to understand rather Good. than listen to the intent of now it's my turn. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Who would you like to have dinner with dead or alive? Well, <laughs> I think I would, to keep it light, I think I'd like to have uh, a meal with uh, Big Poppy and talk about Red Sox. <laughs> the Red Sox. Yeah. Die, die hard fan. I'm, I'm picking up Big Poppy. Um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way that you'd like. Well. I was with a bunch of people 25 years younger than I, but I decided I would climb up the side of a mountain at Baxter State Park and jump off into the water. Um, But I didn't learn the first time I did it three times, and I actually have Mm -hmm. a pretty decent picture of me the the third time. It was a little (laughs) scary, though, and I go, okay. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. <laughs> so you did it one time and then you, you had to do it two more times. I had to get it right. <laughs> I, people were taking pictures. Yeah. Peer pressure. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, 
where is the most exotic or the farthest place you've been? Hmm. Um, Grenada was Grenada was a fabulously interesting place to go. A little bit scary too. Little um, after a little the war bit. or before? Mm, oh yes, yeah, it was after. Okay. Um, but we went in uh, like a nutmeg factory, and it was oh. like going back in time a hundred years. Wow. It was like amazing um, how they were doing things, how it was set up. Um, but the the island itself is gorgeous, of course, and and kind of an atypical, not a touristy per se island. But it was it was, it was educational. It was interesting, that's for sure. That's and um, that time I did not go up. I just went <laughs> under the waterfall in the okay. rainforest part. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? Well, I like tractors and I like doing things outside. And I like, um, so probably, probably something that would allow me to create and 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 fix up right now i'm building um different hiking trails for my grandkids up in our 26 acres behind our house and and we have dragon egg um, brook there because there were obviously dragon eggs down there my little grandson said and um yeah, they were a tree fell over and there were big rocks, but they weren't rocks, gotcha. they were dragon eggs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, probably you know, doing that type of work would be kind of fun. Kind yeah. of fun to do. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's a pet peeve that you have? Mm. Um or a wish. <laughs> That people would collaborate a, a little better and and not start off so adversarial, mm. and okay. and I guess a pet peeve would be, you know, not even having an opportunity to get to a consensus. I guess is a pet peeve. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss the days when we had some true compromising going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the state of our society, our politics. It's us versus them to the death kind of thing. Yeah. So unfortunately, hopefully we can break through all that. Well, the the last question, and this is the only question that actually goes back to the original Prowse questionnaire, is if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? Well, it does exist, so it would be. We have some things to talk about, but by and large, well done. Would be probably what I'd like to hear. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Come on in. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Nathan, it's been really wonderful having you on and and hearing more about your story and everything that you've been doing. How can people stay in touch or get in touch if they have questions or want to learn more about uh, the clinical services there? Sure. So they can reach out via email. Um, Nathan.curtis at mainhealth.org is one way. Um, 
And I'd be glad I, if you Google, you'll, you'll find some things that I've done with ASHA web webinars and mm-hmm. a few presentations. And part of, part of what we've done here, we've, we've tried to share. Um, we've tried to let people build on what we are doing. And we've, you know, we appreciate learning from other people. That's for sure over the years, too. So uh, I would welcome, you know, anyone who wanted to reach out. Be glad to talk to him. Great. Well, we'll have to have you back uh, in the future in a few months and get uh, caught up on how things are going. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. I want to thank Nathan for joining us on the podcast. And I just want to thank him for all the work that he does to support telepractice and speech language pathology. now and in the past and in the future, because he has certainly given a lot to the profession and continues to do that. And I just really appreciate all of his hard work. Please check out what he's doing at the Waldo County General Hospital in Maine. They've been doing telepractice for a long time. They've been training people for a long time. So go check them out. Thanks again, Nathan. And thank you for listening to this episode of Telepractice Today. If you don't mind, subscribe, review, leave us a five-star review. That's always very good. Uh, When you do that, that helps us to attract new subscribers and kind of moves us up a little bit in in terms of popularity. So would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review. That does help us sort of expand our reach. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.